All right, welcome again, once again, weekly. We keep doing this every week. We can't it's stop. Freightonomics, 2 p.m. on Wednesdays, but it is gonna change. We keep promising that it is. It's gonna change, and the hour long too. Yeah, welcome to Freightonomics this week. Uh, I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence. Along with me, as always, Anthony Smith, Lead Economist, among other things at FreightWaves. Uh, here to discuss the nature of the freight market and the global economy and how it all fits together. That's right. And before we get too far into our show, we have to we have to thank our sponsor, Amazon Freight, who, thanks to our sponsor at Amazon Freight, who knows you need more than anything than another truckload services provider. You need a partner who can help you navigate the world of logistics and plan for the future. Amazon Freight is helping sh shippers move their freight simply and reliably while backed by the innovation and expertise that's in the DNA of Amazon. Whether you have a few truckloads to fill or thousands to move, Amazon Freight is your opportunity to put Amazon to work for you. Visit freight.amazon.com to get started. Yes, thank you once again to our sponsors. We're always, of course, appreciative of them. Uh, so we've got a big show today. Anthony Smith, we always have a big show, but today we're going back of wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. We got market expert Henry Byers, Lord of the Ocean, uh, joining us today. Uh, he's going to give us some insight on what we're seeing in that maritime space. Uh, I wrote a chart of the week this past week. Uh, got a lot of hits. Yeah. Um, got a lot of hits. I think my clickbait title was very effective. <laughs> you got to you got to implore some yeah. clickbait tactics from time to time just to kind of get the eyes in. But they stayed and they commented yeah. and you get a pretty solid viewership on those charts of the week. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it does get a following. It gets plastered there on the front page of Freight Waves. And of course, very data centric uh, view of the world. Uh, we try to always support our views with the information at hand. Henry Byers, actually him and Mike Bowden-Distel, uh, I got to give shout out and credit to them for inspiring this week's chart of the week. Uh, so he's going to come on and you know give us a little bit more color, a lot more than I can ever do. Uh, for sure, uh, here in a little bit. Uh, but up first, Anthony Smith, we have some stories. We have some stories. I see we have big news from the White House. Yeah, and I really, I put this one in there because I really wanted your take on, on what this means. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, announcing a $1.8 billion package. Uh, he's, he's, yeah. Trillion. <laughs> trillion, trillion, sorry, trillion dollar package. Uh, you know, and largely going to be funded by none other than increasing taxes on the uh, the top tier of people in the United States, the wealthiest individuals. Um, you know, there's this long argument. And again, I we always try to avoid politics. We know it exists. I'm here <laughs> for it. You know, whether you're on the right or the wrong, uh, the right or the left side. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. The right or the left side of the aisle. Uh, we want to present things in as clearly an objective view as possible. Uh, you know, and I want to make sure that we do cover this as cleanly and objectively as possible. Um, what is your, uh, you know, I don't know if you've seen any specifics on this bill. I haven't reviewed it myself, but the idea that, you know, this trickle down economics that we've all heard since the Reagan era, you know, you don't want to tax the wealthy too much or the businesses too much because that's who gives the employment. And of course, taxes in general, economically speaking, not a great economic stimulator. Am I right or wrong? 
Yeah, and I think when you're looking at taxes, it's one of those tools where a lot of times the government looks at it as an incentive or disincentive. And so when we're looking at taxes, especially when you're looking at how taxing individuals is going to make or influence certain activities or certain actions out of them. And so it's one of those many things when you're looking at economic policy, what's going to happen? You think you're going to expect one outcome and then you're going to have a plethora of other outcomes happen. And I think this is very much so one of those things. And so when we look at this, I'm never a fan of more taxes or increased taxes on any party or not any party, but any segment, whether it be a business or a corporation or a certain individual. I get, you know, the, the, the common theme that when we're looking at overall taxation within certain groups, that more groups are taxed heavily than others. And maybe the most elite aren't as taxed at a higher rate. And there's an ability to kind of navigate those tax um, codes, things like that. So I understand that. But when we're looking at this, and this isn't even a party um, that or, or uh, a league that I'm going to be a part of, you know, at this moment. Right. Know, aspire to <laughs> yeah, neither of us level. are worried about this one. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to impact my day-to-day yeah. life. Not but, directly, at least. Not directly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's one of those things I'm not really a fan of because I feel like it's, I won't say lazy economics, but in a sense, it's almost like a laziness. And so you have those incentives unintentionally when you do these types of taxes. Yeah, I, I, I tend to lean in agreement with you here in terms of taxing things. You want to use that as a, not necessarily a way to generate revenue, but a way to influence movement in the economy. Yeah. You know, and I think that's obviously in the long run, that's a more effective way of doing things versus just simply saying, you have too much. I'm going to take that from right. you. And, and open up different streams. So <clears throat> we're looking yeah. at, um, it's not federal, but it seems like it might be federal at some point in time, but... Mm-hmm. Marijuana might be a thing. Um, that might be a huge tax stream to fund. The lottery is what? nothing more than a fun tax. Yeah. <laughs> so they're uh, opening up the streams rather than targeting others. But I mean, it seems like a broken system in a stint. Uh, yeah. When you have people that are able to lobby for their company or the corporation mm-hmm. to kind of get a little bit lenient. And so uh, there's a lot of areas and wiggle room where it could be kind of tightened and honed in a little bit more before going for actual individuals. Yeah. And uh, obviously there's all sorts of levers, you know, (laughs) the granularity of this situation is more than we have uh, time to discuss for sure. But uh, appreciate the uh, the viewpoint there. The next story of the day, this one is, if you want a summary of the current freight market and what it means as a carrier or a brokerage, uh, especially an asset-based brokerage, this article that Todd Maiden uh, put up on Freight Waves yesterday, uh, citing trucking tailwinds evident in first quarter 2021. Uh, this is a fantastic piece, covers like basically earnings season in a tight, compact <laughs> nutshell uh, from top to bottom, basically eradicating the idea that the uh, you know this winter weather event, which winter weather typically is a bit of a headwind uh, for carriers out there in the space, it didn't have a big impact. Uh, for most of the carriers or providers in the first quarter of 2021. Uh, think about it. I mean, even though capacity is super tight, um, we're not necessarily seeing like, you know, the volumes and, sh- and the carriers shut down for effectively a week in the middle part of the country. Uh, and then, of course, the downstream effect of that, of not being able to cover subsequent loads, shippers also shut down. So that just means less loads, less utilization uh, for a period of time. But the fact that rates are so extraordinarily high right now, uh, that was a moot point. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, looking at this article, it deserves more views. 
in my <laughs> unbiased opinion, because Todd really did a great job of not just breaking out this this article, what's going on within the freight environment, but man, after my own heart, he brought in economic data and kind of went into some of the macro movements when he looked at retail sales, inventories, and brought in manufacturing. He even cited some of the ISM data. So looking at how all these things are, are gaining momentum, looking at industrial production, actual tangible data sets, it, it hit positive. Yeah. So we're now in the positive manufacturing territory. And so that momentum has been, and it's been in play for a long time. It's been not the fastest growth segment, but growing nonetheless. And so across the board, we're seeing expansion and that kind of feeds into what we're seeing within this nonstop freight market. And he breaks it down into every single component and even going into, you know, what the brokers are seeing and seeing that uh, brokers are seeing revenues uh, per load soar. And so, yeah, well, very well written art article, if you haven't checked it out already. It, yeah, extremely comprehensive uh, article there. Well done, Todd Maiden. Uh, if you are interested in that, I definitely suggest you go check that one out uh, on Freightways.com. So without much segue here, the next story of the week, of course, my chart of the week, and this is where I want to bring our expert Henry Byers on, uh, you know, introduce him and get him going. And then I want to dive into really what inspired him, like, you know, basically he inspired me to write this piece, uh, you know, and cover this sector. But obviously I would love to share his viewpoint and his expanded knowledge on this subject with the rest of the world. So let's bring on Henry Byers uh, and get him set up. Henry, thanks for uh, joining the show this week. Hey, glad to be here, guys. Good to see you. Yeah, man. So, you know, a few weeks ago, you put this out on our internal Slack channel, uh, this chart of the week, uh, basically saying you've never seen a situation where the inbound empty containers were outperforming the inbound loaded containers. Now, these are international containers, 20 and 40 foot uh, units that were essentially going to be going back across the ocean. Now, why? tell us why. Uh, yeah, there we go. Tell us why you think this is such a significant signal uh, for the freight market moving forward. Well, I think during this time period specifically, um, the, that amount of international containers traveling back empty into Los Angeles than loaded um, is just it's just mind boggling. And it really speaks to the container imbalance that's building and why I say it's time to sound the alarm. Because if you have that, um, that amount of imbalance in international containers, it's not necessarily that there's not enough international containers. They're just in the wrong places. And I think as these volumes continue to build, continue to pour into the country, I think you're going to continue to see this imbalance just grow more and more and more. Yeah, I think it's, you know, especially somebody like myself who didn't even know this kind of information existed in the past. These are triggers for the domestic freight market that, you know, these are far reaching downstream effects uh, in terms of what it means for, you know, internal freight movement. So can you help us kind of understand a little bit of what you dealt with in the past uh, in terms of, you know, repositioning these containers and getting freight back and forth between, you know, America and its uh, trade partners? Yeah, I mean, you got to think, you know, due to the nature of international trade with the United States, we obviously have run a tremendous trade deficit. A lot of that trade, um, you know, in those imports is done with China specifically. Um, there's just not as much export freight going back to East Asia than there is coming here, obviously. So a lot of those containers do travel back empty, um, you know, especially right now when when ocean carriers are receiving record revenue uh, for these containers, you know, it's it's you know not a wonder why they want to get those containers back over there quickly. Because that's really when you're talking about like we are in truckload terms, headhaul versus backhaul. 
that's a tremendous head hole uh, lane for them. So if those containers aren't on that trade lane hauling goods from East Asia to the United States, they're not earning the same amount of revenue. Um, so when, when you're dealing with capacity, you're dealing with space on these vessels. Number one, you have to have a container before they can even get on the boat. So the containers are a critical piece of that capacity. So if there's if there's just simply not enough containers and those sh- shipments are having to wait at the factories before they can even be pack, uh, picked up, you start to get these sh- shipments, uh, you know, being black- backlogged with the shippers. They, they just continue to pile up it, while they're waiting on these containers. It's just a, a real nightmare for these ocean carriers because they just can't get them back there fast enough. Those boats can only travel so fast. Um, there's just there's really a, you know there's only so much uh, they can do to really speed those vessels up to get those over there. Yeah. So the, uh, you know, one of the things, one of the big storylines of the, the past couple of months is the fact the exporters are getting bypassed uh, from, you know, the United States in terms of, you know, maybe some of these empty can- containers could be filled. But essentially, the rate situation is so high uh, coming back across the water from Asia uh, that they're they're basically saying, no, it's not worth our time. How, how much of uh, an impact do you think this is having with these rates being where they are right now? It's having a tremendous impact on those exporters. And, and you know, they've just come out. Uh, Lorianne LaRocco published on LinkedIn uh, not too long ago a, a letter that they had actually um, shippers, uh, really the export community here in the United States, had come together and, you know, has actually written, um, you know, a letter to the FMC, um, you know, to the government essentially asking for assistance because they, they're literally um, oftentimes getting getting bypassed, um, and not given the opportunity the same, you know, equal opportunity to get their shipments on those vessels. Um, but then, you know, the, you have the fact that, that the U.S. does not really have um, a true ocean carrier that's capable of maneuvering those same trade lanes that these other international ocean carriers are when, when you're talking about containerized freight. So, so we don't have, um, you know, a, a company necessarily we can lean on to, to really, you know, kind of help provide that influence in the market. Uh, which leaves us, you know, further exposed. And it's hard to blame the ocean carriers, you know, in a breath because this is the first time they've been earning these record revenues. And, you know, they, they're normally operating at a loss. So, uh, you know, of course, they're going where the money is. So it's, uh, it's kind of playing out in a real way right now. So, Henry, as you just mentioned, there are a variety of factors going on right now. And it doesn't sound like it's at all sustainable. Do you see this coming to a head at any time in 2021? Or is this something that you might see seeping into 2022 or for years to come? I, Anthony, it's a great question. I think we would have to see this peak um, at some point here in 2021, just the amount of, um, you know, like uh, the number of data points that I'm looking at that are all time highs is just mind boggling. You have, you know, import TEUs coming into the United States at all time high. You have uh, global container rates just off their all time highs. You have rates from East Asia to the U.S. Um, really close or at an all time high. And in many cases, the surcharges that these shippers are paying, um, yeah, I've heard uh, reports of $15,000 per 40-foot container is not enough to get you a spot on one of these boats, which is really just mind-boggling. Um, but I do think here in the next 60 or 90 days, we probably will see uh, you know, just how bad this can get. And from there, it'll just be a, a tremendous ripple effect. And I think it will last into 2022, uh, at least through Q1, through Chinese New Year. But it's really hard to foresee because we just have never at one time, just like the empty containers moved into Los Angeles, seen so many data points showing so much pressure being put on the system. And that's, again, that's why I say we need to, to really sound the alarm because this tsunami that's coming, is going to be, um, it's going to be amazing to watch, see what happens. 
Yeah, so you know, if we could pull up the rates here, the, the Freitos rates to show, just to illustrate where we are historically speaking, we're looking at the spot rate for a 40-foot equivalent uh, moving from uh, China to North America's east and west coast. So the east coast there and the orange for the viewers out there, uh, for those of you that can't see, uh, obviously this is something that you know is available on freight waves <laughs> in sonar uh, if you are a sonar user. But you can see it's about $6,200 shipping a 40-foot equivalent to the east coast from China right now. And it's about $4,800 uh, to move something to, you know, the Los Angeles ports or uh, any port along the, the West Coast there. Now that's, that seems like a pretty big discount <laughs> to ship something to the East Coast in relation to the West Coast with the West Coast being so elevated right now. Um, do you think that, you know, I think we've obviously seen a lot of shippers uh, move their freight into the East Coast. Do you think that that's going to be a persistent pattern? Are we going to see continued rate inflation to this level? I mean, we were paying, what, fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars uh, just over a year ago in this lane, and now it's all the way up to uh, 6200 So I think the the movement of freight to the West Coast versus East Coast, I think at this point, Zach, um, that, that's almost uh, come and gone that time period. I think that we're now at a point where it's get the freight here, however it can get here, uh, whatever container port that we have, the resources and are capable of moving moving it through that container port, you know, with some efficiency. I think that's what most importers are looking at at this moment. So you're literally going to see the most evenly distributed, um, you know, as far as import containers to to you know, you're going to see record highs at nearly every port along the east coast. You're going to see record highs at nearly every port along the west coast. Gulf Gulf Coast ports like Houston are going to be posting uh, tremendous numbers, uh, at least for the next three to four months. A lot of these ports are going to break monthly TEU import records for loaded containers. Um, I think you're going to see most major port side markets, again, must be a container port, a port capable of handling these containers, uh, break, break, you know, be close to, if not surpass their all-time highs for, the, for that month. So, Henry, this kind of brings me into an area I know Zach was talking about it earlier, was the relationship between maritime and surface transportation. Now, while we're seeing that this shift and more activity on the East Coast, do you see it this playing into um, uh, some type of uh, change in surface transportation? Yeah, certainly. I think just like we, we just mentioned just a second ago about just how evenly distributed these container volumes will be, um, I, I think, you know, over the last couple of years, we've seen kind of that shift, Zach was referring to, where a lot of these importers are choosing the route to the East Coast. And a lot of that was lingering factors from the, the trade war and that tremendous pull forward of demand we had uh, at the end of 2019, um, expecting that January 1st tariff. A lot of that was getting pushed uh, to the East Coast. You're getting more evenly distributed. But now you're going to be looking at ports that not just like Savannah and New York on the East Coast or Norfolk, you're going to be starting to see a lot more volume pouring into Charleston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Jacksonville. So those port side uh, truckload markets are also going to see a tremendous boost with outbound tender volumes. You're already seeing it in Seattle. You're already seeing it in Stockton, California, big warehousing market for the Port of Oakland. You're already seeing it in Ontario and Los Angeles. And you got to remember, these are already elevated volumes, uh, you know, from what happened last year and the tremendous volumes coming in. So just because there's not, you know, 10, 20 more boats waiting off the coast of Los Angeles and Long Beach doesn't mean there's not a tremendous, it really you know, record number of outbound truckload volumes still sitting in that market waiting to move out. I think you're, gonna, you're just going to see tremendous numbers across all these major port side markets in the truckload sector. Yeah. So do you think that there's going to be any kind of permanent fixtures that come out of this? I think everybody's kind of understanding that we're in this restocking event, uh, unprecedented type 
uh, situation. But is there anything that you can see or at least getting word of or hints of that, you know, these shippers are now starting to develop uh, strat more long term strategies versus, you know, just get the freight into the markets right now? Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the biggest trends, in my opinion, that'll that'll end up having an impact on the situation is, is, is you know, primarily the transparency of the industry. I think, you know, the, a lot of what we deal with, the disparate data sets that we're just trying to piece together what's happening in the market in real time, um, I think you're going to see, see that shift just accelerated by what's happened uh, and what will happen. So I think there's going to be a lot of positives on that front coming out of this. Um, as far as, you know, really the, the state of capacity in the market, um, if we get into an oversupply event, it could be quite massive if something were to happen on the backside of 2021 going into 2022 economically, where we, we see a, uh, a substantial downturn in the market. You could you get to a you know get in a case where you know we have a tremendous amount of, of too many containers, too much vessel space, the boats are too big. Um, I, we're, we're teeter tottering really on this really um, you know interesting fine line of. Uh, you know, so much demand in a really odd time with all these different factors coming together at once to, to create this uh, elevated demand. And then, you know, the supply trying to meet that demand could then end up having adverse consequences down the line. Um, so it's going to be a really, uh, you know, like I said, this is, this is wild times that we're in. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to uh, to see this play out on the maritime space, which is traditionally relatively stable outside of uh, a few hiccups that uh, earlier in the decade. But the... Uh, I guess to your point, like, and Anthony, this is obviously your your sector. Are we in such an overheated, like, environment that we are inevitably going to see the inverse constriction event? Like, the deceleration is going to ha like happen. We saw it in truckload in 2018, 19, uh, coming off a super hot market, and then it was oversupplied, which had a huge deflationary impact on rates. Uh, and as well as capacity, which led us back once again to setting us up for having no capacity or not enough capacity. So this is almost like this roller coaster ride of capacity, no capacity, demand, no demand. Do you think that this event will end up, and I pose this to both of you, uh, being a lot like that for both spaces, for macroeconomic and maritime? You want to go ahead, Anthony? Sure. So I think for on the macroeconomic side, um, Henry and I were chatting a little bit about it just a couple months ago or earlier last month. We're looking at stimulus packages and how much can we inject stimulus into the economy before we start to see any kind of inflationary pressures really kind of come into play in a very significant way. And so when I'm thinking of that question, I'm also thinking of where our, where our demand is and where our propensity to spend is. We just saw, I know you hate it, but Consumer confidence just hit a pandemic high. And so consumers are feeling confident. Um, we have a lot more money circulating throughout the economy, um, jobs, markets re recovering. So I don't really see demand diminishing too much. Um, whether that demand is going to be on goods or services or more services kind of got, begin to be more incorporated throughout the summer, that's going to be a thing. But but looking at that, I, I don't really see too much of a, of a swing back and forth but it, it does have some worrying concerns because we did see that uh, imports of goods for the U.S. increased 6.8% in March. And so this is something very, very significant. And uh, Americans are consuming and at a record pace right now and much quickly than a lot of our trade partners can really produce right now because we are having these uh, aggressive vaccine efforts. We are seeing a recovery faster than our counterparts are right now. And so that's going to be one of the biggest things is 
how far can we go and how far can we stretch our, you know, our insatiable appetite for consumption um, before it just kind of comes to a, a head. And um, so I think that's what I see at, at the macroeconomic side. I'm sure Henry might have, I don't know, Henry, do you have different takes on the maritime side? No, not necessarily. I think we're just dealing with something that's you know new to all of us. I think the pandemic has forced, you know, you could argue that the responses that the government has had, the Fed has had, um, have all been unique to this pandemic. And, and I certainly think we would all, you know, mostly agree in a lot of cases. So I think, you know, what the after effects of this type of stimulus um, are also, you know, fairly unknown. Uh, we have we have historical, you know, points of reference where we can look back and say, okay, you know, we know at the, at the at this point when the market was this heated, this happened. Um, but but we never knew that, you know, after a pandemic and the market was this heated and there was this much demand from all these consumer changes, um, you know, what that'll look like when it finally starts to cool off. But I think, you know, what we've certainly seen is that the as, as long as the government's willing to continue to implement a stimulus and, and, you know, I think consumers are showing that they're willing and ready to spend on goods that ultimately are made overseas. So, for the import um, side of the equation, I think that that plays into it quite a bit. Um, but if there's no more stimulus, uh, things might might tend to cool off a, a bit quicker. But if the government's willing to keep continuing to, to make deposits into consumers' bank accounts, I think they've clearly shown that they're, they're w- quite willing to spend a significant amount of that check. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It was a show that, unfortunately, you couldn't join us on. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't follow up here and ask if you saw any any kind of fallout from the uh, the Suez Canal situation. Not so much here in the U.S. I think one thing for U.S. importers that are importing from Europe specifically, uh, they saw quite a bit, about a $1,000 increase on 40-foot container rates from North Europe to, to the North America, you know, East Coast, West Coast. Um, but besides that, I'd say the U.S. has, has fared fairly, fairly well. Uh, throughout all this. But I think uh, for European shippers that are shipping from China, there's been more canceled sailings, um, you know, more basically vessel rearrangements where, um, you know, some of that capacity is having to be reallocated in different ways. So therefore, it's put a lot of upward pressure on on rates that were already close to to record highs. Um, So I think, you know, those importers, you could say, you know, importers from China to, to Europe, as if you're a European importer, they're seeing upward pressure just like we are on rates. And I think uh, the U.S. will, you know, with what we're already dealing with in the form of congestion and delays at the ports, it, it, it was hardly noticeable, to be honest with you, in the data, because just so much volume travels on different trade lanes for U.S. Right. importers. Yeah, right. So, I mean, it was already congested and mess. Uh, one more little disaster wasn't really that noticeable. Uh, so one more question before I let you go. Where do you see the Freitos indexes, index rates a year from now? That's Thank a million you. dollar question, yeah. uh, Zach. It's a million dollar question. Because, I'm putting you I mean, on the spot. Right now, you, okay, so I'm sorry, go ahead. I was putting you on the spot. Bold call. <laughs> no, 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 no. Basically, um, ocean rates work a bit different. It's not so much a, a perfect market in terms of, you know, a certain amount of demand, a certain amount of supply. That That's an equation to, to what ultimately ends up being the price you pay in the spot market for a 40-foot container. Uh, right now, you're dealing with a case where they're so high, there's a tremendous amount of pressure being put on shippers back onto ocean carriers and BOCCs to get those rates under control. So you're reaching a point now where, you know, we could be seeing a ceiling uh, of sorts because of the amount of just 
pressure that's happening internationally on on these ocean carriers to, to control their costs. Um, but I do think if demand, you know, continues to have an impact, if that were the only thing going into this, right? You know, imports to the United States right now have, are, are predicted to go to another new to all time high in the next seven days. The the upward pressure from a demand perspective is totally there. So if that if that's what's driving these rates, it's, you know, because supply is basically going to stay the same, if not get worse from the container shortage and the capacity shortage with the vessels waiting in line at these different ports, that's going to be a lot worse here in the next couple of weeks. If that's what's going to cause these, these rates to go up, you're certainly going to see new highs. Uh, but again, we're not necessarily, it's important to keep in mind, we're not necessarily working with a perfect market in terms of how those rates ultimately come to be. Right on. So you think, obviously, we're going to see another peak here uh, in the near future, more than likely. I think so. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Henry Byers, market expert here and keeper of all things maritime, uh, Anthony Smith. Yes. Uh, you know, we always like to end the show with a little bit of a debate. Google Maps versus Apple Maps. Which one? I'm not taking Apple on anything. <laughs> not a single thing. I'm going with Google Maps. And if I were to take it a step further, I might even go with Waze. Henry Byers. He's still there? No, he's not he's there. Gone. Okay. Well, and Henry would say Henry no would Apple say Maps no either. Apple Maps. I think we're all in agreement here. Me and my wife basically got into an argument over Apple Maps versus Google Maps the other day. Was she on team Apple Maps? She was on Apple Maps. And I have now berated her with me. Well, <laughs> that'll do should. it, uh, obviously, for this week's Freightonomics. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you to Henry Byers. Be sure to check us out on the Freightwaves TV app if you haven't downloaded it already. And everybody, have a great week. <laughs>